It seems I am in a dispute with you. Well, some of you, anyway, a few. Okay then, let us argue the toss over what's reasonable and what's not in the domain of Nissan Leaf and its longevity. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap for buyers here in Australia. You can hit me up on the website. Bye-bye. The legacy sign-off for the promo, back by popular demand. A lot of people seemed not to agree with me on my recent Nissan Leaf battery longevity report, which is somewhere up there. I can't figure it out right now based on this new studio setup. Anyway, it should be, I think, there. Anyway, on the off chance that you missed it, click on that and I will stand by. But frankly, at 98.8% likes to dislikes, haters out there, and you know who you are, are still somewhat underrepresented. So I do suggest you work on it. And contrary to popular belief, I'm totally cool with robust disagreement. You know, robust debate is one of the most productive things for each of us individually, and I would argue for society as a whole. This is, of course, not the same thing as just shouting at each other and demanding that someone be cancelled because you just didn't like what they said. I'm offended. There's a lot of that going around. I'm talking about idea versus idea based on merit and, of course, supporting evidence. I'm also quite happy out here to be proved wrong by you at any time in the comments because, frankly, the last thing I want is to be wrong. That would be like a fundamental failure of my function sitting here in the fat cave talking to you, at least as I see it, and I'd want to be corrected by you. Being wrong is the worst thing in the communications game. Anywho, clinging to a wrong idea just because it's yours and you said it yesterday, just because you can't let it go, a lot of people do that. And I really have tried hard to divorce my capacity for that. Which is why I would really like to thank a dude named Paul Harling for his comment recently. Fancy that! A man using his real name in the comments. <laughs> Actually standing behind his ideas. The conviction to be associated with what he actually says and thinks. Who knew that was possible? I respect and appreciate that, Paul. Plus the time it took you to voice your concerns, which we will address in just a sec. Please bear in mind that I will not straw man you on all of this. I am going to assume the best, most robust interpretation of your criticisms and comments without taking a single cheap shot. Time for me to dig deep. I don't agree with this particular bashing. Okay, not agreeing, totally fine. Like bring it. Calling it a bash though, I mean, I would argue that bashing something in journalism is providing a collection of cheap shots which are unsubstantiated by facts and lacking both perspective and proportion. I really don't think that's the case in my recent Leaf report, but to be fair, I suppose that's really not for me to judge. I would be surprised, for example, if the folks at Nissan in Schittsville didn't think it was 
quite a bash. But hey, I'm not in the appeasement business. <laughs> Certainly not in the car company appeasement business. They've got every other friggin' motoring journalist in Australia, if they want that. I sincerely happen to believe that Nissan could do better with Leaf owners. They could do better designing the Leaf and certainly better in supporting owners whose cars die early. I do not happen to believe that just 40 kilometres of maximum range after seven years on the road with a $5,000 repair bill is a victory for customer care. It's certainly not sustainable, environmentally friendly, whatever you want to call it. It's not green if you've got to replace the battery every seven years, not by any definition. And is that not the whole point of the Nissan Leaf? to be green. The car is seven and a half years old. The purchase price isn't really an arguing point. Rechargeable batteries are known by everyone who has ever owned one to have a limited life. The battery under the hood of our internal combustion engine cars needs replacing every five to seven years. Okay, everything, everything has a limited life. Second law of thermodynamics, basically. It all ends in heat death even for the universe, and there's a cheery thought. I think you'd agree. The point though, ethically and legally here in Australia, is what is reasonable in the circumstances, right? I would argue that the purchase price is actually fairly relevant, like a five-buck pair of shoes cannot be expected to last as long as a pair of RM Williams boots costing, I don't know, 500. Cars are certainly like that, and legislation here treats them like that. I think most people would expect a $56,000 car not to lose 75% of its claimed range in just seven years, because that's what happened to Mr. Dreyer, the subject of that report, and it seems not to be in dispute. The facts there are something both parties agree on, apparently. Starting batteries of conventional cars, of course, use completely different chemistry. They're lead acid versus lithium ion in EVs, and the batteries in conventional cars cost about 150 bucks, which is fairly trivial. So I don't quite see the point of introducing this comparison at all. John often points out how gruelling the years and miles are on our cars. A battery failure at seven and a half years is neither an engineering failure or an unexpected event. That was an early edition of an entry-level EV, regardless of the sticker price. As an engineer, I'd suggest the LEAF has a glaring design deficiency. The battery is not actively cooled. It gets too hot and this shortens its life and this causes it to fail early, hence the diminishment of range. Other EVs aging in the market right now, they're not like this. Tesla, for example, the Model S seems to do a fine job with thermal management of the battery, and you know what a fan of electric Jesus I am. So, to me, this is like the Epicurean paradox, right? Only for engineers. Either the designers at Nissan knew about this life-limiting deficiency and they ignored it, perhaps for budgetary reasons, or they honestly had no idea that this would happen and it just blindsided them. In the first case, of course, you'd have to argue they were willfully negligent, allowing this to occur, not necessarily the designers, but the company itself, inclusive of the bean counters who maybe tightened the strings, at least allowing this to occur 
knowingly is willfully negligent. In the second case, you'd make a case for incompetence. How else could they not know? And I have tried, but I honestly do not see a get-out-of-jail-free option in all of this for them. Expecting vehicle owners to fund an inherent design deficiency is morally repugnant. I think $5,000 is an absolute bargain for a brand new battery. Nissan is being reasonable and fair. The advertised warranty period is what was agreed to and paid for at the time of purchase. On that, I would suggest that consumer law trumps warranty, so whatever the warranty was, that's kind of subservient, if you like, in the legal hierarchy to consumer law. I'd further suggest that EV batteries are a system of components, okay? They've got hundreds of individual cells arranged, presumably, into modules, with the modules being assembled into a casing, and that forms what people notionally refer to as a battery, with electronic oversight, of course. Diminished battery performance is a consequence of individual cell failure. They don't all fail, just some of them do. Perhaps only a few dozen cells in the battery in question are affected. And therefore, replacing an entire battery, which Nissan claims is a $33,000 item, but which they were prepared to discount down to $5,000 in the case of Mr. Dreyer, to me, that is tremendously wasteful, replacing the whole frigging thing. It's environmentally reprehensible. You have to stop thinking about EV batteries as if they're some sort of monolith. They are a complex assembly of parts. They can be serviced, kind of like an engine. And you do not replace a whole engine if a few hydraulic lifters collapse. This is kind of that. Instead, why not diagnose the defective cells? Why not go right down to the cell level, diagnose the defective ones, replace them, rebalance them, and reassemble the quote-unquote battery? And while you're at it, improving the cooling in some tangible way, perhaps with heat sinks or fan-forced convection, might be a neat idea as well. And I would argue that seeing as this is a fundamental design problem, Nissan should wear the cost and not owners. It is commonplace for internal combustion engine vehicles to be hit with repair bills into the thousands. I know guys who had to pay $7,000 for wiring harness replacement at four years. Seven grand for a battery harness is a big hit for most people, absolutely. And I guess the key question there is, why did the wiring loom fail in the first place? Like, if rats ate it on some nice chilly winter's night snuggling next to the warm engine block, then unfortunately that is the owner's problem. But if it failed because of inadequate exhaust heat shielding, which caused it to melt, not so much. On the issue of being reasonable and fair here, on this end being reasonable and fair, I would say that there are pretty clear guarantees under Australian consumer law, and as I interpret those, Nissan has failed to meet them. I'm no lawyer. And in the case of Mr. Dreyer, they seem to be treating it like it's some sort of plea bargain on tacky American television. Like, this should be free, okay? But we'll see if the other side is going to go for it for five grand. I mean, please. The guarantees are, of course, legislated and therefore, technically, not optional. They are supposed to redress. 
the fundamental imbalance of power between large corporations and individuals. If only they were zealously enforced. ACCC, though, asleep at the wheel on most days ending in Y. I think you'd agree. There are also ethical and moral dimensions to reasonableness and fairness, and I'm not a philosopher either, but it seems to me that many car makers routinely behave like Donald Trump. And it's so commonplace that this has become, sadly, unremarkable. $5,000 to effectively extend the life of the car another seven years is a bargain. How much of that $56,000 was the battery? Without the battery, that's a $20,000 car. He paid 30 grand for the battery the first time around. If he gets another five years out of it, that's only $1,000 a year. It's not hard to calculate that EVs are not cheaper to own than internal combustion engines. In the domain of economics, the trade-in value of the owner's leaf was about 10 grand when I checked. That was with a fully functional leaf, okay? With a failed battery, that value is likely to be close to zero. I suppose Mr. Dreyer could embrace Nissan's purported largesse and pay five grand for the battery, and then he would have a car worth $10,000 to trade in, if that's what he wants to do. It seems economically rational, certainly, but whether that constitutes a bargain or not, to some degree, that's subjective. A bargain would be them fixing it free, I'd suggest, or at least them being fair and reasonable would be them fixing it free. Whether or not even that's a bargain, you'd have to ask a philosopher. So no, five grand does not do it for me, mainly because I would still feel like I'd been touched up by them, owing to the asymmetry of power between an individual and a large corporation and having them dictating the terms to me. This does not even read like a negotiation when you read the emails. Early adopters of new technology pay a premium for an unproven product. Yes, they do. The shiny new toy is always expensive. Furious agreement there, always expensive. Hence the 56,000 buck retail price in 2012. It's like a 15,000 buck car with an electric powertrain, as Paul said earlier. But that's not mitigation, I'd suggest, for having it delivered, wrapped in a design deficiency which effectively hobbles the vehicle's single most expensive and defining component, the battery. The reason he only got 120 kilometres of usable range is largely because he was only charging to 80%. He should buy the battery and enjoy the car. The initial range may be as you say, Paul. Nissan claims 170 in the brochure, but failed as far as I could see to make mention of its recommendation not to charge the car above 80%. So to me, that's a kind of selective misrepresentation right there. Like, it has this range, technically, but only if you overcharge the battery. As for what Mr. Dreyer quote-unquote should do, I guess that's a matter for him. I am still firmly of the belief that Nissan should throw him a bone and fix the damn car for free. Stand behind the product, dudes. Look, if I was wrong about any of these matters, the facts in other words, I would expect Nissan to have called me by now and what I'm hearing, phone-wise, is crickets. 
They should also commit some resources to improving the battery cooling retrospectively, keeping early adopters sweet by going above and beyond, right? It's the kind of thing Apple would do and which many premium brands see great value in, mainly because it makes solid commercial sense. Unfortunately to me, Nissan and some other car makers seem not yet to understand that merely complying with consumer law is not optional, sadly. And as for going above and beyond, well, you'd have to start complying first, you know, crawl, and then walk, dudes. And they should hang their heads in shame over the current leaf too, incidentally, because as I understand it, that vehicle is not actively cooled either. And my strong advice to you as an engineer is to buy an EV if you really want one. Go ahead, knock yourself out. It's a free country. But make sure that the EV you buy has battery with liquid cooling, okay? Otherwise, you are likely to be the subject of a debate just like this one in eight to ten years' time. Yes. And we wouldn't want that, would we? Well, we might but I'd suggest you certainly don't. Before I let you go, sincere thanks to Paul Harling for making his argument here. And I hope I did manage to get through this whole package without once misrepresenting him or taking a cheap shot. I deeply respect the points you made, Paul. I happen not to agree with them overall, but thank you sincerely and for the manner in which you made them. Hashtag respect. I'll leave it to you in the audience to vote on whose point of view wins ultimately, but the main winner here is reason. There's tremendous value in respectful debate as long as we use evidence and we remain receptive to the concept that perhaps we could be wrong. Embracing a better idea when it knocks on your door is pretty valuable, but not a lot of people do it. Without that, we are back to living in caves within a single generation. And I wouldn't rule that out if I were you. So help me out here, do everything you can to make Australia less shit. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't rule it out given some of the things the more powerful among us have said recently. 